We have been studying the Gospel of Matthew uh, together uh, this whole year. So we're, uh, we're into the second half of the year. That's exciting. And we're into the, the second half of Matthew. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 17. Um, we'll look at some of the scripture. There's an outline for you in your bulletin. Hope that you'll pull that out. And there's a Bible right in front of you if you want to uh, look at that. I won't necessarily be reading the entire uh, chapter. Uh, I printed for you on the outline a reminder about uh, where we've been. And you can see that the focus of this series has been the Gospel of Matthew, the Jesus centered life. And so we've been trying to immerse ourselves uh, in this Gospel and apply it to our lives. We've uh, made it through 16 chapters. And you can follow along through there and see how we've touched each one of those. If you haven't been keeping up with that, you are, I just really encourage you to kind of uh, be in the Word. There's Bibles out on the table out there. If you don't have a Bible, it's a large print that you can pick up and be reading with us. And uh, we'll do 17 today. We'll be in 18 next week. And uh, so I'll try to give you ideas where we're, uh, where we're headed there. So uh, where we are in the gospel is that the, the pressure is increasing in Jesus' desire to reveal who he is. Uh, you remember in Matthew 16, uh, that we looked at the last time uh, that I preached uh, this to you, was that we talked about uh, where this question was, who do people say that I am? And the responses of the disciples, and then who do you say that I am? Very specific. Uh, even this life-changing question of what good would it do for you to lose your soul, even if you gained the whole world? So Jesus is in this process of helping us to think about uh, who he is and the revelation of who he is. And 17 is just such a critical moment uh, for us to look at. It reminded me of a story. I think I read it maybe in junior high or high school. It was a short story they had us read by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Now, I'm not into English, but, you know, I do remember this story. Some of you looking at me like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this story was called uh, The Great Stone Face. Anybody remember that one? You know, The Great Stone Face was this story about a mountain that was overlooking a village, and this mountain had the face of a man, it seemed, uh, along the mountain there right at the foot of this village. Um, the legend was that one day that a man with that face would come and visit this village, and he would be a blessing to those villagers, and he would, he would offer a great blessing to them. Um, there was a little boy in this village and his name was Ernest. And Ernest uh, heard about this legend and he longed for this man to show up uh, while he was alive. Uh, Ernest would spend a lot of time looking at the face on the mountain, the great stone face, studying all the features and contemplating all the ways that this man would bring blessing to the village. Every once in a while, rumors would circulate from somebody that uh, this man had showed up and Ernest would run in excitement to, to meet this man only to recognize that he didn't have the right face. So he wasn't uh, the great stone face. One day, uh, Ernest is walking along with one of his friends, and his friend turns to him and, and looks right into Ernest's face, and then looks at the great stone face and says, Ernest, I think you're the great stone face. And uh, they talked a little while about that. The man threw his arms around him and shouted all over the community, behold, behold, Ernest himself is the likeness of the great stone face, and Ernest had become like the one that he had been looking at, the one that he had been beholding. Uh, the truth of the Hawthorne story uh, also shows up in Scripture. 
where the Bible tells us that that which we behold, we become like. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's not printed for you, but it says, uh, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. Would you say transformed? Transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the more we behold Christ, the more we become like him. The more we fix our attention and our affection on him, the more our lives begin to resemble him. Our goal, as we've been reading Matthew and studying it together, is that we would behold the Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew 17 is in particular, just gives us this most exhilarating, most inspiring, most worship-inspiring uh, pattern and portrait of Jesus. And as we see him in what the Bible calls the transfiguration, we are called to become like him. Uh, of course, we don't become divine like Jesus, but we do become like him in the sense of being conformed to his character, uh, being like him in his love and in his life. So this beholding of Christ teaches us, leads us to long for him, to long to be like him and to long uh, for his coming. That's uh, the transfiguration uh, of Jesus that he reminds us of. Three things I want us to do today. First of all, I want to talk to you about what transfiguration means. Second, I'm going to give you some ideas about what the rest of this chapter is. And then we're going to end up in 1 through 8 and look at this transfiguration. So we don't have a lot of time, so we got to go. Um, first of all, uh, verse 2 of chapter 17 says... He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Uh, what's happening in this section is that uh, the Bible uses the word transfigured. Uh, it's the idea of something being changed. You know, change is constantly a part of our life, isn't it? Our jobs change, our transportation changes, our communication changes, technology changes us. Occasionally, we like change. Occasionally, we like something that's making our life better or easier, but most of the time, we resist change, right? Just, just nod your head. That'd be good. All right. Uh, there's something that we don't particularly care for, like personal change particularly. And that's what was happening with the disciples. Jesus had come, and Jesus had come to change the world. And he came to alter the whole world. He came to change the structure of what was happening in Rome at this time. The disciples were thrilled with that, but they were strongly resistant to personal change. The disciples like what has been happening. They, they like being in the middle of the crowd. They like being able to do miracles. They like kind of being famous. Uh, they were even thinking about their position in this kingdom that God was going to bring about. So they like it. They're excited. He's, uh, but what they didn't realize was that they were supposed to be like Jesus. He didn't come to lift them up. He came so that they could die to themselves, not to find high position, you know, we, we can identify with them, can't we? You remember when you got saved? You remember the, um, you know, it's like God gives us this sweet spirit of his presence with us and you have joy and peacefulness with him. It's like a brand new experience and you feel like, well, I'm just going to kick off my shoes and lean back in my padded pew and I'm doing good. Well, it doesn't take very long for you to realize that God didn't intend for you just to sit in a padded pew. He wanted you to go out 
to sacrifice your life, to give of yourself, to change the world. You know, what, he, what we learn here is that there was going to be a cross. That's the truth of the gospel. Jesus calls us to, to get out there. He calls us to die to ourselves. He wants us to look beyond who we are and what we've gained and live a life that exemplifies Christ before us. You know, he, you know, he went to a cross. And our cross is not like a wooden cross like that. Our cross is this radical inward change that he brings in all of us. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? We're, we're talking about transformation, transfiguration in, in his person. Transfigured uh, is, is a word that is only used three times in this way uh, in the Bible. You see it right here, which is kind of a preview where he's, you know, the Bible says that he was transfigured. It's like a metamorphosis. Like I got English and science going on in this class. So we're doing all right. Metamorphosis. You know what that is? You know, that's the idea of the, uh, of the cocoon breaking open and bringing forth uh, this beautiful butterfly. It's the process of change that comes to us. And that's what Jesus is talking to these disciples about, the transformation that's going to come. Jesus is being stripped away of all the outwardness. And deep within, you see what he's really like. The Mount of Transfiguration is, is not like a light beam shining down on Jesus. The light came from within him. Within him that made him shine like the sun, made his clothes even glisten and shine. I mean, we receive the same spirit that is in Christ, and it makes his spirit to shine in us, and we are changed. We are transformed. We are transfigured. Uh, you might even say refigured or reshaped. Uh, aren't you getting excited about this sermon? That's what he called us to be. He's, he's saying, I didn't come just for a show. I came to make a difference in you. You, you see it a couple other times. It's in, it's in a passage in Romans chapter uh, 12, verses 1 and 2. Maybe you remember these verses that say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be, what's the word? Transformed. It's the same idea. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is good and acceptable and what is the will of God. Transformed, refigured, reshaped by the renewing uh, of your mind. Uh, that's powerful. He's talking about us being shaped not in the image of the world, but in the image of Christ and his kingdom. Uh, the last time is the verse I quoted for you earlier that says, we all with unveiled face holding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image. So what's happening is Jesus is not looking for Jesus on the street, in the church. He's looking for Jesus out on the street, at the job, in your home, where you live, where you go. He's saying this is about what God is seeking to do in you as he demonstrates it through this thing called the transfiguration. Now, let's get this whole chapter. Transfiguration happens in verses 1 through 8. I'm going to come back to those in just a minute. Um, you ever, let's see. I, I, was, I took Kim the other day. I was driving, and she said, uh, let's go to Starbucks. And so that's a common request. And so we, we go swinging into Starbucks, and she says, I'm in, on the way. She says, I really want, and she named this thing that she likes. Uh, I have no idea. I have to get a text when I, you know, to what is, because it's got like 10 words. You know how that is. All right. So 
She said, she's excited. She wants this. She's sitting in the passenger side. I pull up into the Starbucks there in Pekin, and I go up and I say to the lady, I say, okay, we want, and I quoted all this thing. And she says, I'm sorry. We're out of that today. She's over here, and it's like, oh! It's like terrible. I mean, that's what she wanted. And I said, um, do you want something else? And she said, yes. And so she told me what she wanted. And so I got on the speaker, and I said, we would like to have such and such with a side of disappointment. <laughs> Just came right out. <laughs> the lady on the other side, a friend of Kim, she said, that is so sad. And I said, yes, it is. You feel like that sometimes, right? Don't you? You have high moments or anticipation or things are going along great. And it's like the, the bottom just drops right out. Okay, well, that's what I want you to see is happening here. 17, 1 through 8, the transfiguration is one of the high moments in Scripture. I mean, it's an incredible thing. You got to read this and see it. But notice what happens. Uh, verse 9 tells us that they're on this great mountaintop experience, and here they come down the mountain. And so uh, 9 through 13, they, be they begin to talk. Now, you know what they're talking about? Uh, in the transfiguration, Jesus is on the mountain. He is shining. And lo and behold, Moses and Elijah, can you believe it? I don't know how they got there. I don't know what the deal was. I have no idea. It's a good question for God when we get there. But here these guys show up on the mountaintop. Well, Peter's all excited, and you know, he wants to build a little place for all of them up there. But they come down the mountain, and everything's going great. They're all excited. Jesus has been in white. And you know what they're talking about? What's this deal with Elijah coming? Like major disappointment. Uh, I call them disruptions. You know, because whenever something great is, going, is happening in your life, uh, there is usually right after that a time of failure or disappointment that comes along, right? Isn't that the way it goes most of the time? You know, we don't stay on the mountaintop all the time because all of a sudden you've got a little side of disappointment right there uh, with it. And so in, in this moment, uh, Jesus has been on the mountain. That's the first part of the chapter. The second part is they're coming down the mountain. And what do they want to talk about? They want to talk about Elijah. I would call that disruption number one, that the conversation is not about Jesus, but it's about Elijah. Uh, and so you can tell Jesus is having this little struggle with them because everything is all disrupted and things are not going exactly right. He's, he, instead of them talking about how amazing Christ is, all of a sudden they're talking about uh, Elijah uh, instead of Jesus. So distraction number one is the focus on Elijah, not Jesus. Uh, the point is that this salvation story is not complete and that it's so easy to get distracted in, in our lives when we're supposed to be thinking about Jesus. Don't you get distracted a lot of times? All the time, right? All, you know, we know who Christ is. We know that our focus is to be on him. But it is so easy to get wrapped up in all the stuff that is happening, right? So we can relate to what's happening here. Jesus has this high moment, but they're walking down the, the mountain and the distraction is on. The first one is this conversation about Elijah. You can see that in 9 to 13. 14 to 20, 
uh, is the second distraction. What happens is this man comes along and he has an epileptic boy that is having seizures and the disciples have tried to cast out this demon that is causing this, the seizure in this situation. And Jesus says, what's wrong with you boys? <laughs> Didn't you just see who I was on that mountain? Don't you realize who I, how much longer am I going to have to be with you for you to really see who I am? Because when you see who he is, you are changed. You are transformed. And so he very simply casts the demon out and sets the boy free. But his focus is on the lack of faith of those disciples. Once again, we could be talking about this high, great moment of transformation, but we're talking about the lack of faith uh, that is there. That's distraction number two, disciples' lack of faith to heal the demons-possessed boy. The point is that the focus is on them. The focus is on them, their lack of faith, uh, as, and, and not on what God is able to do through them. Notice what he says, with me, nothing will be impossible. 1720. So he's reminding them, he's trying to get their attention uh, on who he is. You know, he's doing this for you. I don't know what's on your mind. I'm pretty sure that you, you were coming to church today. You were probably talking about whatever was going on. And this afternoon, probably as soon as you stand up, you'll start chatting with somebody about something that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Guilty as charged, right? All right. Uh, because we, we, we do that. We, we immediately move into so many times a place of distraction. But I'm telling you, he wants you to see him. He wants you to behold him in his glory and who he is. Because if you live in relationship to who he is in your life, your life is going to be changed, transformed. So distraction number one, number two. Number three is his clarification. It's in verses 21 uh, to 23. Uh, you see Jesus telling them, I just want to remind you, I'm going to the cross. You know, they're not having this celebration moment. He says, we are going to a cross. That is where there's going to be suffering and death. So the clarification is that Jesus predicts his suffering and death again in verses 21 to 23. He just did it in chapter 16 that we looked at, and now he, he's telling them again. You know, they didn't like that. Remember when he told them before in 16, Peter says, mm-mm. No, 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 we're not doing that. You know, we got a different plan. And he says, uh, get behind me, who? Satan. Called him. said, get behind me, Satan. Uh, so he wasn't willing to receive what Christ was trying to tell him. So it became a, it became a distraction. And so he had this moment of clarification uh, to give to them. You understand what's happening? You got this high moment, and then you got this, these little moments of disappointment that he's, that he's revealing to them. There's one more. Uh, at the end of the chapter, amazingly, you know what they're talking about? Taxes. Taxes. There was a temple tax. Now, you'd expect Matthew to be talking about this, right? He's the tax collector. And so he's, he's talking about this and telling the story of somebody that's coming to Peter and ask if the master pays the tax. And then we, you remember the story, the miracle. He says, go and catch a fish. And in the fish is going to be this drachma that will be of enough value to pay your tax and mine. Um, and it's so interesting that you have this amazing moment in chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. And then they're talking about all these things that are distracting. Could I tell you? 
Let's not do that. Let's see for ourselves who this Christ is. Let's see what he reveals. Chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. The scripture says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a what? High mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Wouldn't you like to hear that conversation? Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, we will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking... While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, let me give you several points here. Uh, first of all, uh, chapter 16, verse 28. A couple of you wrote me about this and said, what in the world does that mean? 1628 is the verse that said, some of you standing here will not die until you've seen the glory of God. Here it is. I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, there's a lot of things that people believe about this verse. I really think this verse is referring exactly to what comes next. It says six days later, they're there, these three are there that are seeing Christ in all of his glory. They have seen him as a human being. They've seen him uh, doing miraculous things that uh, are like God. And now they are seeing him as in presence, the glory of the Lord shining through him. Uh, so there's a little connection, I think, to what he's trying to say there. And he took these three um, disciples up onto this high mountain for the moment of transfiguration. What you get here is you realize that Jesus is more than a teacher, more than one that casts out demons, more than a healer, more than just a king. He is the glorious, holy, sovereign, preeminent, beloved son of God that is indwelt with the fullness of God in him. Hallelujah. That's what's happening here. Uh, it says after six days. I don't know exactly what that means, but uh, I do remember that Moses was on the mountain like six days and the Lord came to him. Uh, I know there's the six days of creation, so I don't know what he's trying to say there, but he, it's, the first, it's one of the only times Matthew says something like that. Usually he says when we got to Capernaum or when we went here to a location, but now he says after six days, he took these three uh, disciples. So you got six days, you got three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Now why three? Why not all of them? Why didn't they Go. Well, the, um, the testimony of the Old Testament law was, and even the New Testament, stated that official testimony of something that happened was established by two or three witnesses. So we have the witnesses who are here. Uh, Peter, later when he's writing about this, says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So these three are there. Um, he's 
we are recognizing that they are coming along there. Now, uh, Jesus says that he led them up onto a high mountain. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but if you took some time in Matthew, you noticed that mountains matter to Matthew. A lot of M's in that. Ma mountains matter to Matthew. Uh, you know, we see Jesus teaching the sermon on the mount. Um, we see Jesus praying on the mountain in, in Matthew 15. Uh, we hear him uh, teaching in Matthew 24 and 25. We'll see that. We see Jesus speak about the, uh, the, the Great Commission in 28, 16, spoken on the mountain. Um, they, they, they matter uh, to Matthew. So here is another situation on the mountain. And notice Moses and Elijah are there. And Moses' great moment was on the mountain. And you remember when Elijah went up on the mountain and defeated the prophets of Baal. So you got mountains everywhere all over this. In this high moment, this high uh, mountain, it says he came up and he was transfigured, verse 2, before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah uh, talking with him. What happened? Jesus has changed. His form has changed. It's not like he became a dove or an angel. It just means that his whole outlook has changed. It's like Jesus got just, he lightens up. Uh, he became full of light. Jesus' face became as bright uh, as, the, as the sun, the scripture says. Not only here, but in the book of Revelation. His face is like the sun shining in full strength. I mean, that's a lot of light. That's abundant light that's on Jesus uh, shining through him, radiating through him, that it, it just bleaches out his clothes. So you got face shone like the sun, clothes white like the light. I mean, he is bright, but there's, not all, there's more. The, the Bible says that there was a voice that came out of a bright cloud. You know, there's something about light going on here. Uh, the glory of God uh, shining uh, through them. Uh, you got Moses here and you got Elijah. They show up alongside. Now, why those two guys? Well, Moses represents the law. Um, he represents the law as the one that came, uh, that would, uh, gave us the 10 commandments. God spoke through him. Uh, he's the one that represents the law and Elijah was considered one of the great prophets. And so he represents the law and the prophets. You might remember when we studied chapter five, verse 20, he said, I have not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so there's something going on right here. Can't you, I can just imagine it. Can't you, you got Moses. And you got Elijah, and you got, a, you got Jesus, and they're just having a little shaking hand. Hey, how you going? How's it doing? You know, what's up, man? They're, they're talking. I can't imagine what they're talking about. I think they're probably talking about what Jesus is up to and what is getting ready to happen. So you have this incredible moment. Here they are, Moses and Elijah and Jesus in all of his brightness. And here comes the father who says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So this transfiguration is similar to transformation or change in appearance in, in Jesus. His face is like the sun. His clothes are as white as light. We have the appearance of Moses and Elijah. Now, Peter doesn't get it. Peter's like, woo, this is like great. It's like we had a great church service and something's happening. And Peter comes along and said, I could, I could provide a little pup tent for you guys. I don't know what he had in mind. He's going to build it. I don't know what he's going to build it out of. But he says, let's have a little shelter. One for Moses and one for Elijah and one for Jesus. He just didn't get it, did he? 
He didn't realize that this is a temporary moment that's talking about the transformation that is ultimately going to happen in the life of believers like us, as well as them. Uh, They're not just going to hang out up on the mountain. Did you notice that the father interrupted him? It says, while he's still talking. Now notice, Moses is not talking, and Jesus is not talking, and Elijah's not talking, but Peter's talking. We're not surprised, are we? Um, And while he's talking, the father speaks and says, this is my son. Now, it's exactly like he spoke uh, at the baptism of Jesus, but this time he says, uh, listen to him. Listen to him. You see, for for even Peter to think that we're going to build, I'm sure he was going to build the same little tent, right? Um, Peter might have thought, These guys are all the same, but the father is saying they're not all the same. Moses had his moment, Elijah his moment, but this is my beloved son. This is the Christ. And they fell on their faces in worship, and Jesus so so kindly reaches over in grace and touches them. And then it says, they saw no one except Jesus. No one except Jesus. So, what's our response to the transfiguration? Uh, One of our responses is certainly to remember that we are called to behold Jesus. We are called to see him, to see his worth. Are you overwhelmed? Are you amazed at this incredible moment that we get to see Jesus? Do you behold Christ? You know, we sang these great songs, and I was sitting there thinking, man, it it just should be so alive in here. How can we even just sing all these songs? We are thinking about Christ. We're seeking to behold him. That's our problem in church, isn't it? I'm not just talking about us. I think we do pretty good, actually. But the church is dying because people think they're looking at the church. We think we're, we're looking for, for the church to do something for us, which I love the church. I love the Nazarene church. I love our church. But what we're about is seeing Jesus, getting our eyes on Jesus, being able to behold him. He is the Lord, our God. He is God Almighty. We sing these songs. You can't, we're not just singing love songs about something that happened in your. We're singing about the Almighty God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are called to behold his worth, who he is, his value. You know, when you see him for who he really is, that changes everything. You know, if you have a, a nice little religious experience and you kind of grew up around the church, I'm not knocking all that. I'm just saying that's not what this is about. He wants to change your life. He wants to transfigure who you are. All the stuff that impacted your life, how you grew up, what happened to you, how you've lived, what people have done to you. He wants to transfigure you so that your life is not about where you grew up. Your life is not about what happened in your life. Your life is not about any of those things or your own self-centeredness. He wants you to die to yourself so you can be refigured and look like him. Transformation. Behold. Jesus, his worth. Second thing is, listen to Jesus. And that's his word. His worth, 
his word, listening to his voice, choosing to recognize and see him, behold him, listen to Jesus, and finally live for Jesus, be his witness. Will, will you see Jesus? Would you see him better than you've ever seen him before? Would you look at him and by seeing him realize that he is your savior, he is your God, he is the one that is making the difference in your life? Will you listen to Jesus? Whatever, whatever is not like him, he wants it removed. Whatever is your choices, your self-centeredness, he says, listen to his word, remove those things. And finally, will you live for Jesus? Not distractions. Deciding to live for him. Today, uh, we have communion. If you're serving, I'd invite you to come uh, now. Uh, we're going to pray for these elements. Uh, while we're serving communion today, um, there's going to be a video. You can actually probably go ahead and start playing that. Um, and I just want you to think about beholding Jesus. It used to be this song called, We Shall Behold Him. Uh, Sandy Patty used to sing this song. And uh I don't think we had Sandy Patty here today, so I decided that uh, we'd have her sing to us. And while she's doing that, w would you see Jesus? Would you look for Jesus? Would you look for him inside of you and allow the transforming work that happened to him to happen to all of us? Hold your communion, we'll eat and drink together, but behold Jesus in your life. The sky
you to the transfiguration. It's coming. You know, the first time is Moses and Jesus and Elijah uh, with Peter, James, and John. You get to come. There's going to be a moment where he's going to shine in all his glory, and all those who believe in him are going to be welcome there. Are you going? Are you going to be there? You're invited to the transfiguration, but the only way to get there is to trust him now. Not just to be a good church person, but to see Jesus, to know him, to learn about who he is, and to surrender your life to him. That's what he, that's what he said to do with this, to remember, to remember him, the sacrifice that he's made. He was not just glorifying himself. He said, I'm going to a cross. I'm dying to myself so that you can live. He asks you to do the same thing. As you eat and drink today, he's saying, give your life. Give your life to Christ. Not just, not just join a church or not just believe a set of something somebody wrote down, but to know in your heart that you've seen Jesus. He is so worthy. He loves you so much. And he gave himself for you. 
he sat with his disciples and he said, this bread is in remembrance of me and the sacrifice of his body for us. We eat this in remembrance that Jesus Christ gave his life for us. And we, in expression, are saying to him, we give our lives to you. Let's eat together in Jesus' name. This juice represents his blood that he gave for us, the full sacrifice of his life for every one of us. We drink this in remembrance that Jesus Christ gave his life for us, and we, in turn, give our lives uh, to him. Let's drink together. Father, thank you so much for this scripture, for this moment with Jesus, for this voice of God that speaks about your beloved son. Heavenly Father, today, through our communion, through your word, we express our desire to be like you. The fullness of your spirit shine through him not a beam of light on him, but flowing out of his heart, who he was. Lord, we pray that for ourselves. Today, we submit our lives to you. Maybe there's some in this room that have never made that kind of commitment, Lord. Maybe they, they've made a commitment the best that they knew, but maybe they've really never looked and seen who you are. Today, Lord, I pray that you would receive every one of us whether we are receiving you for the first time or whether we're just reaffirming through this communion that we are, we are willing to sacrifice ourselves as you have sacrificed for us. We love you. We worship you, O oh God. Thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you were transfigured so we might be transfigured, transformed, refigured into who you have called us to be, to be like Jesus. We love you today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.